It's a good life the Lord has given me. I don't have to serve this world anymore. I have a family who cares and a God who never fails or oh, praise His name. I want to live my life for Him. Praise the Lord. The Lord has given me. I don't have to serve this world anymore. I have a family who cares and a God who never fails or praise His name. I want to live my life for Him. It's a good life the Lord has given me. I don't want to serve this world anymore. I have a family who cares and a God who never fails or praise His name to live my life for Him. Sweet peace inside 
for tonight, the privilege you've given to us that we can, Lord, use our human efforts, frail vocabulary, limited, O oh Lord, intelligence to praise you. And from the depths of our hearts tonight, we want to lift our voices to you. Even though with the best of vocabulary, Lord, we'll never be able to adequately praise you and appreciate you for your goodness that you've shown towards us. Thank you, Lord, for being such a wonderful God. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege you've given to us tonight to have this opportunity of streaming uh, this service that the saints that are home, restricted from coming to church, can follow us online 
And, O oh Lord, they can receive a blessing and their homes can become a little sanctuary in these days of uh, perilous times, Father. Bless the service tonight, we ask in Jesus' wonderful name. And for his glory, amen and amen. One of the things we can never stop doing is continuously pray for the people in the fellowship and around the world that are suffering uh, the effects of this pandemic. And like we have said so many times, that God never errs in judgment. Uh, the scripture tells us that righteousness exalted a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And when I look at the world today and I look at the church today, I am fully convinced, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm fully convinced that the majority of us are failing to recognize how seriousness, how serious this pestilence and this pandemic is. We fail to see that the hand of God is involved in it. But like every other thing, a lot of times we say we believe and we really do not believe. I like the song we were singing, I won't serve this world anymore. And as we were singing that song, I remember this very favorite scripture of mine where Paul is writing to the Galatians. And he made a statement here. He says, Christ give himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world or the margin says age. I'll read that over again. He says in verse 4, he says, who give himself. Uh, for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age or society according to the will of God and our Father. Now, I'm going to back up one verse, and I, he says, Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father. Uh, he's greeting the saints in Galatia from God the Father and from and and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you'll find that Paul uses that all the time, but the Father did not give himself for our sins. He went on to say, who give? Christ. Jesus Christ who give himself for our sins, that he, Jesus, might deliver us from this present evil world. But he's saying, why are you saying this so, so many times? Well, I tell you what, a lot of us, the theory remains in our heads and few of us implement it in our feet and guide, let it guide our steps. Uh, when John was writing, as a matter of fact, before we go there, in chapter 2 of this same epistle, Paul said in verse 20, talking about himself, after he rebuked these four churches of Galatia. And you know, such a, such a terrible age we're living in, that people become insensitive to their own reality. We become insensitive to our own reality. We know what's right, but we keep on doing what's wrong. Uh, we do not care to know what's right because we prefer to dwell in an area that's wrong. And I'm saying that because it's Christmas time, you know. Um, Brother Singh, are you going to be celebrating Christmas? Well, yes, I will celebrate Christmas. We'll have a dinner at our house, five of us, right? Uh, five of us. 
Chandri said, she said, Dad, could you go out and buy a turkey? And I sure went out and got a turkey. And here's what she told me. She says, get a small one. Well, when I came home with a small turkey, it was not a chicken, was not a baby chick, but it was almost there. And uh, she said, I've never seen a small turkey like this. Well, what are you going to do with the turkey? Well, the boys wanted turkey on Christmas Day because Christmas Day we would meet, the family would meet. Uh, we don't need the pagan aspect of it. We don't need the Christmas tree because to us, Jesus was not born on Christmas Day. But it's a holiday. It's a time where people can meet together just like Independence Day, just like every other holiday. You can pull your families together and have a nice time of fellowship and dinner. Don't exaggerate it. Don't go overboard and be a little Belshazzar. Well, all we think about is eating and drinking. And so we will celebrate that, but there, is, there are so many Christians, and I can't change the world. I'm not here to change the world. As a matter of fact, Jesus prayed uh, to his Father that he says, I pray not for the world. And so when we sing a song like, I can't serve this world anymore, uh, what does it mean to serve the world? What it means is simply, be, simply that I'm caught up with the, what the world out there, the ungodly world, with the, uh, the sinners and the ungodly and the atheists and everybody else is doing. And I would like to get involved in the same way. Well, I can use this world, like Paul said, but not use it to the full, not abusing it. And so, on a holiday, for example, on New Year's Day, uh, would I go down to, uh, what they call it, Philip Nathan Square? Nathan Phillips Square, and wait for some ball to drop? No, I don't care. It's the, a day just like every other day. Uh, would I make some plans? Yes, I always make plans for the new year. Uh, try to see if I can lose some weight, if I can pray some more, if I can study some more, if I can be more kind and gentle uh, than I was. And we make plans, so we use this world, but we're not letting the world take a hold of us. Uh, this entire season, Christ is not given the glory. If someone says this is the season where Jesus gets the glory, that's not true. You can con yourself, you can believe that if you want, but Jesus does not get the glory. You mean that little baby in a manger you're talking about, getting away in a manger, no crib for a bed kind of stuff, and he gets the glory? Listen, if Jesus was here today, and he is in person, he would not encourage the celebration of Christmas like it's done out there. When you see a manger and you see a baby and you see three wise men and you see shepherds and all of this in this little manger scene, and that's the time when some people go to church once a year, they go to church for Christmas, and some go to church on Easter. And that's the time when more people get drunk and get sinful than any other period of the year. Of course, that's the time when people become charitable, even if they're mean. And so what I'm saying generally we have a Christmas dinner. We have it. We call it Christmas dinner. I could change the name, but it doesn't change the fact. It is done on Christmas Day. The word Christmas comes from the Catholic rendering of the Mass for Christ. And so I'm not going to even get into that. What I'm saying is that believers are not really true believers. We say we believe, but there's no action 
to the life that we want to live. We claim that we want uh, to serve the Lord. We know that Jesus died to save us from this world, but we really don't want him to save us from this world. I'm thinking of a scripture, and I hope I can find it. I've got John next to me here. Maybe he'll help me find it. Where the prophet says that they said unto the prophet, prophesy unto us smooth things. I've got a scripture here. It says in Isaiah chapter 29, 30, chapter 30 of Isaiah. And they say here, uh, the people are saying here, this is God's people. Uh, chapter 30 of Isaiah. And this is so beautiful because when you read the 29th chapter and the 30th chapter of Isaiah, you'll understand a little deeper concept as to sleep. We talk about slumber, spiritual slumber, because spiritual slumber can get you in such a dazed and unrealistic world that you're living in that you call heresy truth and you call truth heresy and you don't know the difference, how to draw the distinction between reality and fantasy. Uh, that's a lot of people are living in this twilight zone. And so Isaiah, when he's talking about this, he really covers a lot of things here. And I don't want to stretch your heart, your mind too far. I'm holding my finger in Isaiah chapter 29, chapter 30. I'm back, backing up here just for a little bit into Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, chapter 5 was one beautiful scripture that I felt the Lord had given me one morning when I was really devastated. And I said I worked hard and accomplished nothing. And I'm checking my work. And I was one of those days years ago when I was discouraged. I opened my Bible and this was the scripture the Lord gave me. Now I'm not going to read the scripture he gave me. But I'm going to read a section of this here. It says um, here in verse 20. Chapter 5 verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good. And this is a damnation that God has pronounced on anyone that you call evil good. If you stand in front of a Buddha and you call him good, woe unto you. If you stand in front of a Christmas tree and if you find out the origin, and you know this thing has a bad origin, or you really don't care to know, we're coming to that, and you call it good, woe unto you. If a preacher gets up and make an idiot of himself by preaching false doctrine, and you call it good, woe unto you. It's a woe unto anyone that describes something not in its true reality. In other words, God expects his people to look at things with reality. All right? And so you can't, the adoration of something and the admiration of something that's evil is an evil in itself. Woe unto you that call, it says, woe unto you that call evil good. And you call good evil. When I'm standing up here, I'm sitting down here, and I'm preaching against pagan customs and stuff, and you say, well, don't worry with him. Ah, man, don't worry with that man. Well, if I'm doing what God has ordained me to do, and you condemn that, woe unto you. Simple, woe unto you. That's what Isaiah is saying. And the reason why some of these prophets were never liked is that they did not uh, play Dale Carnegie's role 
how to win friends and influence people. They were very unapologetic in their approach. They said truth like it should be said. That is what Paul told the church at Corinth. He says, when you gather together, a man is living with his father's wife. He says, when you're gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus and with my spirit, in other words, the way I will do it, Paul says, he says, hand that man over to the devil. What? You mean, Brother Singh, Paul was handing people over to the devil? Yes, he did. I've never really done that yet, and I don't think I'll ever do that. I don't always follow all the things that the men in the Bible did. Much more men that I met alive in my day. I don't follow everything my past leaders have done. Because past leaders were humans, and they, had, they could make mistakes. And I remember the one time when Brother Goodwin died, um, my daughter, she's sitting right in front of me, she had a dream, and she came and she told me. And her dream was, she said, Dad, I dreamt that uh, we were in a service, and some of the ministers, she can't tell who it was, but she knows it was ministers, holding the corpse, Brother Goodwin's corpse, his dead body, at the pulpit. Am I right? Yes, they were holding the body behind the pulpit and they were playing his tape at the back. And she jumped up. And I said, kid, that's a good dream. That's a very revealing dream because some of us have done that. And tonight before the service is over, I want to show you how important it is to maintain integrity and build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but that's a foundation only. We use the past to build on. And even that foundation cracks. Foundations need maintenance. Uh, maintenance. Uh, when you're building on foundation, you build a different structure uh, dependent on the climatic and the, uh, the evil climatic conditions of your, the place you're building in. You build a house in Guyana is a whole lot different than building a house here in Canada. And so... Uh, 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 Isaiah went on further on. He says, wanted them to call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light because darkness is subtle today. In the day we're living, darkness is very subtle. Uh, the devil is now an angel of light. You think he's preaching light? No, he's preaching darkness. And when a person has a wrong spirit and a wrong attitude, if God has not called them, they can have only one doctrine wrong like Hymenaeus and Philetus had, but their word will eat as dot a canker. Uh, when you listen to the wrong individual and you let your spirit go out behind that individual, you'll be led astray. And there is a danger in rejecting truth because God will send you strong delusions. You'll believe a lie and be damned. It is important that you have your spirit in such a position. And that is why I'm so fussy about this streaming thing. Because this streaming thing could be just a religious addiction you get into. If you're sitting, think about it. A religious addiction. You like the streaming. But your life is not changing. It's just an addiction. And we don't want that. We don't want the word of God to be an entertaining factor in your life. 
The time will come, Paul says, when they will heap to themselves teachers because they have itching ears. They will not endure sound doctrine, but they want their ears tickled. And a lot of us following this message tonight might be like in that same position. It was so good when I received letters and messenger from various individuals that said, Brother Singh, uh, one person said, Brother Singh, you know, I've been serving God for uh, 50 years and now I'm getting saved. Listening to the messages during COVID-19 and applying it to my life, now I'm getting saved. You know, that's remarkable. I commend you for being honest because guess what? I am getting saved on a daily basis also. And God is saving me. And if God is saving you, that's what's important. And Saul, uh, Isaiah went on here. He says, uh, Woe unto them, verse uh, 21, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. And then he comes down here to chapter uh, 29, because I've got other things I like to talk to you about tonight. He said in chapter 29, Stay yourself and wonder. Cry out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger but not with strong drink. We talked about this in the last service, about spiritual intoxication. We talk about the ten virgins, you remember? We talked about ten virgins, and it's really ten white bridesmaids, but the King James translation has it as virgins. It says five were wise and five were foolish. And those that were foolish did not carry extra oil. The wise carried oil. But here's the problem. The wise were like some of us today. We listen to the word. We hear what's being preached. Oh, we love that doctrine, brother saying. I can give you a talk tonight on the details of paganism that by the time I'm finished, you hate the Christmas tree. You hate the word Christmas. Uh, you hate uh, the concepts that promote it. You hate Halloween. You hate uh, the concept of paganistic concept of Easter. You start to come against all these things. But guess what? I can preach all of that, and you can hate all of that. But if your heart is not convinced to serve God and to follow Him, hating the thing wouldn't do a thing. We have to start loving God and following God. Hate iniquity, but follow God. And love righteousness. And love a godliness. And so it says here, uh, people are drunk, intoxicated spiritually with that which the woman in Revelation 17 holds in her hand. And we'll talk, as we get along, we'll talk as the time gives us more about these things. But not only are they drunk, they have fallen in deep slumber. And God had poured on you the spirit of deep sleep. And he had closed your eyes. And the prophets and your rulers and the seers, the teachers, have he made blind or covered. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed. And when I'm looking at this Bible, there's a lot of this Bible that I don't know what's written. And I speculate, as a matter of fact, uh, I must be one of the greatest critics of this Bible I preach from. I might be one of the greatest critics. Because this Bible... I have the problem when I see translations. Uh, I'm not trying to justify mistranslation. I'm trying to understand mistranslation so I can preach the truth. I need God to inspire me. 
If today you take all the copies of the Bibles away, I know how to preach holiness. I know how to tell you to live for God. I know how to tell you to maintain righteousness in your life. I know to tell you who died for you and why he died and how you can live for him and how you can give up the world. Because I need the same spirit that inspired men to write to touch me uh, to decipher that which was written. And there might be more that the book does not have. You hear me say this over and over again. We can fight today's wars with yesterday's weapons. Uh, we can't build uh, Noah's Ark today. Uh, we have to find what uh, the kind of ark God wants us to build in our day. And so when we look at these things here, this is some, some beautiful areas of the Word of God. It says the book is given to one that is learned, and he says, I can't read it, I can't understand because it is sealed. Now that's an honest man. I wish more of us were honest. More of us that are watchmen were honest. Do you know a lot of watchmen today? They watch. They don't want to wake you up. They don't want to alert you to evil in their time. They just watch. A lot of preachers are just watchmen like the watchdog. They look on. They got nothing to say. They got no interpretation. They don't jar the life or challenge the life of, the, of sin and evil in their time. And so... The book was given to the learned, he says it's sealed. Given to the unlearned, he says I'm not learned. And so this is it's sad that this book, to the learned, it's sealed. To the unlearned, I'm not learned. Well, to the child of God, Jesus said, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It is God's will to let us understand the day we're living in, and the most important thing about understanding from the Bible, now listen to me very carefully. The most important element from Scripture that we need to understand is not how, what is the beast. It's not what is the Antichrist, who is the Antichrist. It's not to understand eschatology and all these little details. If you don't understand any of that, and you just understand salvation... How you were shapen in iniquity and in sin your moms conceive you. How without sin one soul cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. You understand that, that righteousness exalted a nation. And you understand that the soul that sinneth it shall die. And you understand that your soul can come to that place of accepting Christ into your life and be saved from your sins. And you can, when it's all over, you know how to live in the midst of an ungodly world. You know how to refuse the evil and accept the good. You know how to turn away from darkness. You know how to look at the world and recognize where evil is and where, where godliness is. You can differentiate between light and darkness. You can differentiate between good and evil. You're a child of God. You can understand these things. That is important. You might not even know the code of scripture, but if you can live right, it's good. Now, I'm going to make a very strong, and somebody says that's a damnable statement. If I find a man out there, whether it's Muslim, Hindu, or atheist, or whatever, and he's living a moral life, 
He does not steal, he does not cheat, he does not tell lies. And he lives a better moral life than the child of God in church. Don't tell me the child of God as a sinner and a hypocrite living in church stands a better chance. When the general judgment comes on the world, the righteousness of the righteous is not anything if he transgresses the laws of God. God is a fair and honest judge. And he will give everyone. If I was never saved and I'm an ungodly person, when I say ungodly, I'm moral. I, I don't do wrong things. I don't look at dirty movies. I just feel like I need to live a clean life. And I'm resurrected and I see before me a kingdom of God. Don't tell me I wouldn't want to be a part of it. I think I'll preach about Christmas this weekend and tell you about the true meaning of what it should be. All right? But right now, we're looking at the Word of God. It says here in verse uh, chapter 30, verse 1, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, they take advice, they take understanding, but not from God. And, and we've got to come to the place of understanding that whatever is guiding us is from God. So that when we make judgment, our judgment is based on Scripture. And that is why we've been playing around with the Scripture that says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You don't take counsel from the ungodly man. You don't see what they're doing out there and you get carried away. And that is why I love COVID-19 because it is helping us to come to the place where God is stalling the world. It's not the real stall. There's going to come a time when God is going to judge the world that where you don't even want to celebrate anything. The wine will, 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 will spoil. The bridegroom would not want a bride uh, celebration for his bridegroom. And his wedding. Uh, the people would not want to go out and have a merry heart. Because the world will be in corruption. There is coming that judgment on the world. Right now this is kid stuff. And so in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 30. All the way down to uh, verse 9. It says that this is a rebellious people. Lying children. God is talking to the Jews. And he is... We can look at this and see if he's talking to us also. He says, this is a rebellious child. This is a rebellious people and lying children. Children that, are not, that, that will not hear the law of the Lord. They don't want to hear the law of the Lord. I, well, I don't really want to. My mama did it. My daddy did it. My brother did it. So that's okay. Well, it's not okay. It is not okay. And I'll get to that in a minute. Because that's the fear of every man of God. That when he dies, people will depart from the way. Uh, I'm so pleased that Brother Joe is putting all of these COVID messages. Uh, there's over 90 online. And we're going to keep them there. And Brother Joe, uh, we were talking about this. And I said, Brother Joe, that's current messages. That is what God wants us to hear today. And I was asking a question around. I said, won't that be nice if God speaks to us today and tell us what's going on? And you know, most of the people that I asked that question to says, yes, it would be a nice thing if God can talk to us. Well, my friend, what do you think is happening here tonight? 
When the word of the Lord came on to Jeremiah, did it come in a plat in a plaque down from heaven? No. He sat there and he started to speak, and the word of the Lord came into his mouth. What do you think is happening here tonight? I am giving you the word of God. And I told Brother Joe, it is current messages that is designed to save the elect in this day. And it, if out of every 1,000 people, five make changes, we are successful. Amen. I'm judging it from track record. And so the Lord says, they said, God, the Lord said to about this rebellious people, which say to the seer, you know how many people would say to this seer that's talking to you tonight? The seer is the teacher. And they would prefer me to say to the seer, please don't see. Don't go investigate the origin of our pagan customs, please. See not. Isn't that a sad world? I prefer to keep on doing this. Don't tell me where it come from. Don't tell me if birthdays were supported by scripture. Don't tell me where these things come from. You know, I wear, when I come to preach, I wear a wedding band. See my wedding band, everybody see? Look how it's glory. You see it? It's glory. When I go home, I take it off and put it away. Because there's no way in scripture that I read that you need to wear a wedding band. And when I went and checked the origin of it, I did not really like the origin of it. But in this day society, if I don't put it on, people wouldn't know I'm married. Okay? But I don't make an idol out of it. I put it on. It's very beautiful. Isn't this beautiful, Sister Dorothy? It's a beautiful ring, isn't it? Glittering, Brother John? If it was all diamonds, I'd sell the diamond and buy a cheaper one. But, um, but there is a wedding man. But when I checked the origin, I did not like the origin of where it came from. I did not like a lot of origins where things came from. But I'm very curious. I'm not going to say, please don't see. No, I'd like to see. I'd like to find out this habit I have where it's coming from. This custom we have where it's coming from. I look at the saints dancing and the sisters with their body movements and all that's going on in the church. And I wonder where that's coming from. And I ask a lot of people from the past and, they, and from the history of our work. I say, where is it coming from? Where did this dancing come from? Is it in the Bible, in the New Testament? Did the New Testament church have this? Well, the Jews dance. Well, David danced half naked before the Lord. I said, any brother that takes his shirt off and wants to dance in this church is put out of this assembly and is locked up in the kitchen or somewhere else. We don't do that here. Am I curious? Yes, I still am curious of where we came from. And in this assembly, when I find out the origin of anything, I don't care who started it. If an angel from heaven came down and started it, and it's contrary to what God wants, I want it out of the church. I don't care who started it. I want it out of the church. Because when I read the Bible, it tells me the temple must be measured. What we do in church must be measured. And there's a message I'm preaching that is giving us some measurements. The Lord says, I want you to reverence 
my sanctuary. I told a brother today that I listened to the message and I said, you've got a band that plays majestically. I love it. When I hear a band is playing in a church and the music is majestic, I love it. The moment it guns is it's switched over to boogie woogie, I don't love it. I think there's lack, lack of reverence in the sanctuary. Everybody is saying we did it for years. Guess what? For years my ancestors ate raw meat. My grandfather and grandparents rode on donkeys. I'm so glad I'm not traditional. Won't that be something? Chandri comes on our own donkey and I come on my own donkey and we get, we get maybe zebra because it's sports model. Riding to church. Huh? I'm glad I can change. For the better. And as evil exposes itself, I want to change and, exp- and, and pursue godliness the way I think it ought to be done. And so it says here, they said to the seers, don't see, prophesy not unto us right things. Can you believe God's people would prefer to hear a false doctrine? Sing away in a manger. Put them three wise men there. Let them give him gifts. You'll be surprised to not read the whole thing. No wise men was in the manger. If you can find the wise men visiting Jesus in the manger... Send that scripture to me and I'll send a check to you for a thousand U.S. dollars. It's never happened. Some old pagan person, some backslidden Catholic came up with the concept, passed it on to us, and us Pentecostals speaking in tongues, we believe it. May God open our eyes to see truth. But the people of God says, don't, see, don't, don't prophesy truth. Give us lies. Tell us about false doctrine. This is what they're saying. See not. And the prophets prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth stuff. We want to hear pleasant voice. You know, we want to hear sweet things. And that is what Israel was, they were getting busy in doing. And there's so many areas here that I can get into. But the Lord is telling us that we must be able to give up this world. Here is a scripture before I turn you back into Joshua. And I've got 15 minutes. Here's the scripture in the epistle of John. Where John is writing here. And there's so much uh, John is writing. In chapter 1 of 1 John. John says in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. That you also may have fellowship with us. What kind of fellowship we have got? Well you know we have a fellowship. You know this fellowship? Well let me tell you something about John's fellowship. John had a fellowship too. He says, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, whatever they were doing in John's environment, they appreciated God and they did it to please the Father and please the Son in every one of their services. He says, um, verse 5, and this then is the message which we have heard of him and declared unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and we are walking in spiritual darkness like the world is walking, we're a bunch of liars. Isn't that what it says? 
Is that what he says? He says, we walk in dark. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we are a bunch of liars. When I look at you and you're carrying on with all these pagan things and you've got the poor, innocent people following you, carrying on in pagan customs, you're a liar. Stop preaching. Go into insurance sales or something like that. See how we can go out there and sell used cars. When you're called to preach the word of God, be an honest watchman that when you see the, the, the evil coming into the church, you can warn the people that you're not just standing there watching cute and looking cute. May God help us. See, I'm preaching to myself here tonight because it is important I claim to be a watchman. I must be able to recognize evil. I'm not, if I'm spiritually blinded, you'll be spiritually blinded that's following me. And then he goes on here. He says, if we walk in light, as he's in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. And we get a continuous cleansing, sanctification process in our life. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, you see, it's one thing he died for to save us from this present evil world. It's another thing to be really saved and being continuously cleansed. Every day when I look back at where I'm coming from, I'm con continuously being cleansed. If you're not continuously being cleansed, something is wrong with the process. And so here it says, uh, he cleansed us from all sin. And then it goes on in, in 2 John, as John is writing here in 2 John, uh, just a few pages over, he said here in verse, in verse 3, he says, um, he says um, I rejoice, verse 3, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. What make John rejoice? Even as thou walkest in the truth. You see, it's one thing to preach the truth, it's another thing to be walking in the truth. You walk in light and not in darkness. And so back in Galatians, uh, before we, time runs out on me, which is really running, uh, in Galatians, the second chapter, uh, Paul, when he's writing here uh, to the Galatians in chapter, uh, chapter two of Galatians, he says, I'm crucified, verse 20. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. See, we're talking about this world and the concepts and the ideologies of this world that when I'm saved, slowly I'm losing that. The devil is so subtle, his job is to deceive you and to let you think you're doing right when you're really not doing right. If he can stagnate your spiritual growth, he is successful. He would not close the church. He will just undermine the truth and reality that should be in that church. He says here, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of Man who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Christ died for me that he might save me, and I'm crucified daily to the flesh. I'm becoming a godly individual. And so when we're thinking of where we're coming from, it is important that we think about where we're coming from and move on with God. It's a wonderful thing to have the foundation to stand on. But it's time to move on. Uh, the uh, past weekend we looked at some areas. Because when we look at Paul, Paul's life. When Paul was about, when he was exiled from Ephesus. He was worried about the church. 
in Ephesians, in, in Acts the 20th chapter, uh, Paul made a statement here in Acts the 20th chapter. He was already exiled from Ephesus. But in Acts the 20th chapter, he made a comment here in verse uh, 27. He says to these elders, they came and met him at uh, halfway, not in Ephesus, but out of the city. And he came down and he met with them. And he said to them, here was a long talk. I'm just using a few verses. He says, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now, Paul was not polyparroting somebody else's message. We don't have, <coughs> we don't have a single message. Excuse me. <coughs> we don't have a single message. We don't have a single message that Paul preached. And God in his wisdom did not want us to have that. And so Paul says, I've not shunned to declare unto you all, not a little bit, all the counsel of God. He says, take heed therefore unto yourselves. He's telling elders they need to be saved. Take heed unto yourself, first of all. So as a pastor, I must be praying and asking God to watch my life. That's what I did the other morning. I got up and I started to look for sins in my life. And I can't find a lot of stuff that I do that's evil and sinful. I have one or two little problems. But when I'm thinking where I'm coming from, God is really doing a work in my life. And I'm glad he is. And that is why when I'm preaching to you, I'm not a watchman that's just watching. I'm warning. I'm preaching the word. Paul says, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. That is, if the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. It is a serious situation. For I know this. I'm not guessing. I know this. That after my departure, two-legged wolves, grievous wolves, two-legged wolves, preachers, if you please, will enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And I look at Corinth, and I look at, 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 at the church at Ephesus, and it's amazing. It's amazing that the church at Ephesus was started by Apollos. And Apollos was a disciple of John the Baptist. Now I wish Apollos had followed John the Baptist. Now listen to me, I'm not going to even go into scriptures. But I'm going to talk scriptures. It would have been good if Apollos had followed John the Baptist. But how could he follow him? John was an unlearned an ignorant man. He was trained in the, in, the, in the wilderness. Apollos was mighty in the scriptures and eloquent. His pastor, his leader, John the Baptist, violated the very principle of the traditional garb that the priest ought to wear. And that's not why I'm wearing a black um, sweater on tonight, under my shirt. I'm wearing it because it's minus eight. But you understand, John the Baptist preached a message like this. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is, 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 is nigh at hand. He says, there cometh one after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John preached 
the coming of Christ and he preached the baptism of the Holy Ghost. John preached what a Pentecostal ought to preach. But he did not preach a fabricated experience. He was telling about a true experience. He talked about the Holy Ghost. But when John was gone and he died and he was left and he was gone, it seems like it seems it was apparent that Apollos took over that church at Ephesus. That is where Priscilla and Aquila met him. And when Paul came, when he came to Ephesus, in his missionary journey, Apollos left and went to Corinth, the church that Paul had planted. Now listen to me carefully. Paul came to Apollos' church, where he had about 12, 15 people. And Apollos left and he went to the church that Paul spent some time and planted it on a strong foundation. And when Paul came here and he asked the people, first question, are you all Pentecostals? Well, that's exactly what he asked them. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And the people said, what is that? Holy Ghost? What was the problem there? Apollos got rid of John's message, got rid of the, uh, the prophecies that John had, and he was preaching his own thing, and he eliminated the Holy Ghost operation from there, because if, John, if Apollos had the Holy Ghost, he would have been encouraging the people to receive the Holy Ghost. He did not believe in the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost baptism. I conclude that way. And when he went into Corinth, eloquent and with all the knowledge, he was uprooting what Paul planted, and planting his own ideologies. And that is why when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He says I come not to you with the excellency of speech. Or with enticing words of man's wisdom. Paul condemned earthly wisdom. He condemned Greek education back there. He condemned the wisdom of the Greek. He did. He promoted simplicity in Christ. Showing that God calls the simple-minded. I didn't want to jump into the scripture, but I'm going to do that. In 1 Corinthians, here is what he said, a beautiful scripture. And I can't just skip by and pass this. Uh, we'll deal with um, Joshua some other day. But Paul, when he writes here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he comes down here and there's a lot of things he said. But he said, verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not to, with wisdom of words. He says, Christ, God sent me, not to come and fabricate wisdom of words. You see, what some of us are doing in the ministry is educating the people and their blindest bats, spiritually speaking. I am not called here to educate anybody. I'm called to preach the power of God, the Holy Ghost, to preach the word of God that will change your life. That's what I'm called to do. Not to educate you, but to see that you get illuminated with what I preach. Am I a dumb preacher that preaches stupidity? Listen, I know the word of God pretty good. I don't need this Bible to preach. I can close this Bible and spend an hour talking to you, quoting scripture after scripture. I spend time to study that I may be approved of God as I preach to you. And Paul says, we don't come with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ, which is more important than words, 
become of non-effect. The gospel should not be an education. The gospel should tell you that Christ died for you and his blood was shed on the cross for you and he can save you from your sins. That is what the gospel ought to be. It says, and may, because when you let words come in and language come in and theology come in and all this stuff come in, experience and the cross is made of non-effect. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad that you can have a church where salvation becomes just a thing we talk, to, talk about? Where I got to put on a white shirt to show I'm safe? Dark heart, white shirt. I love white shirts. I, I can never really come on a weekend without dressed up properly. I believe you ought to dress properly in the presence of God. Reverence is sanctuary. But at the same time, it's the conversion that's lacking. And the cross and the death and the salvation of Christ is made of non-effect because we fill education in. Everyone wants a degree now and everyone wants a name and a title. And we want to get ourselves filled with a lot of junk. All right, forgive the language. And then he goes on here, and I'm going to close here. And he says, <clears throat> for the Jews, verse 22, beautiful chapter to read over. He says, for the Jews, all them Jews, set in their ways, they want to see a sign. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile converted. Are you a spiritual Jew? Well, yeah, you can say that. I'm a spiritual seed of Abraham. But I'm not a Jew. I've got a... All right, let me not even get into that. Let me just finish the lesson off. Let's read this here. Follow with me here tonight. For the Jews require sign, and the Greek, they seek after wisdom, earthly wisdom, not wisdom from God. But we preach Christ. When you, all you want is an education in scripture, you're a Greek. When you want to see signs and wonders and a lot of motion going on in church, you're, you're a Jew. Paul says, we preach Christ. Verse 23, read it with me. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, he becomes a stumbling block. And onto the Greek. It's just a bunch of foolishness. You know how many individuals look at me and think I'm foolish? And I think I'm wiser than a lot of people because God touches my mind. I know where I'm getting my source from. See coming here tonight, no notes. I know where the source is coming from because it touches my mind and my heart. He says... But unto, unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, if God has called you, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek, there comes a conversion in your life. Christ saves you. He says Christ has become uh, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. Amen. So it doesn't matter where you're coming from. When Christ gets into your life, the educational aspect is gone. The power of the cross gets in. And whether you're Jew or Gentile, you can receive salvation in your life. That is what Christ is ought to be. We preach Christ. I preach Christ and him crucified.
May God help us. May this lesson challenge your life. Go home and read over 1 Corinthians. Read over the, twin, the fifth chapter of, of Isaiah. Read the 29th chapter of Isaiah. Read the 30th chapter of Isaiah. Listen to this message over again. And may God give you understanding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for this night in your house. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus, who is not a stumbling block. We thank you, Lord, that he is the one that died for us and the cross and salvation and his blood and what he offers, Lord, is so much more important than just a mechanical Christian life. Help us, O Father, to serve thee acceptably. O Father, help us not to promote ignorance and yet at the same time, Father, not to glory in knowledge and glory in the wisdom of this world. But, Father, we glory in Jesus, in him crucified. And, Lord, may his life become a part of us. May we, like Paul says, I die daily to the flesh, to sin, and to this world. Father, in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen.